Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome back to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. Last week, we turned our attention to South Korean cinema for the first time in this show. And we briefly went over the ups and downs of the Korean movie industry since World War II. In short, the industry rose from the ashes of post-World War II Korea and grew into one of the most vibrant and mature cinemas in Asia. It has a large number of high-quality films to offer to fans in almost all of the popular genres, such as horror, action, animation, and thriller. I'd even go as far as to say, pick your favorite genre and you can find a list of top quality and more importantly, original South Korean movies in that category. Now, this week, let's take a look at Old Boy, arguably the most highly praised movie to come out of South Korea. So much so, in fact, that he inspired a cult following among Western fans. So enough introduction and let us dive into the world of Old Boy. The film starts off with a cliffhanger, and I mean that literally. We see the outline of a man with his back turned against the sun and therefore appearing to be a large shadow with not much detail on his face. His right hand grabs firmly onto the tie of another man who's leaning off the edge of a building, apparently trying to kill himself. The suicidal man is totally baffled as to why a man is trying to forcefully stop him from killing himself. And the man in shadow, our protagonist, says that he only wants him to hear his story. The film then flashes back to a time in the past, and a younger middle-aged man is making a scene at a police station. He appears to be heavily inebriated and slurring words left and right, but we can still piece it together that he was brought in after harassing another woman. The man introduces himself as Odaisu, and after making a mess at a station by trying to urinate on the floor and provoking fights with police officers, he was finally calmed down, and he tells the police that he has brought a gift to his daughter and that all he wants is to go home. Odaisu's friend eventually comes to bail him out, and just when the pair is making a phone call around the street corner, Daisu disappears. By the time his friend turns around, he sees only the endless gloomy streets engulfed in the rain with no sight of Daisu, no matter how hard he yells his name. By the time Daisu makes his next appearance, he's barely poking his head out of a small opening of a prison door. He's begging and yelling to the person who is bringing him food, saying that he's been in prison for two months and that all he wants is to not be released, but just a reason for his imprisonment. 
The person doesn't answer him, and Daisu frantically tries to grab onto the person's foot and threaten to kill him. But all this was in vain, as he was kicked back in along with the plates of food, which he throws away in anger and despair. It is at this moment that we get to see the inside of Daisu's new, well, let's just call it a place of solitary confinement. It looks like the inside of a very plain and shabby hotel room. Everything from the floor to the bed cover looks brown and dull, and the wall is covered in this dull, really unsaturated wallpaper with repetitive patterns. The bathroom sits at the corner of the room and is fully exposed, leaving him with no privacy. The room also has no window, with a painting of a sailing boat as a replacement for a view to the outside. And speaking of painting, the most remarkable feature of the room is a portrait painting of a man whose face is twisted in a really bizarre and grotesque manner. It is as if He's both laughing and crying at the same time, but we can't tell which one it is. This actually is a real painting, and it, it is titled "Man of Sorrow." It's made by James Ensor in 1891. It is a hugely important element in this movie, and we'll get to that later. You probably have heard Daisu whispering as a voice over. Well, he was. Going nuts by trying to bang on the door, he is asking himself if the people who imprisoned him have told you that the confinement was going to last for 15 years. Then would it have been easier for you to endure? We quickly learn that this is the voice of Daisu speaking towards the end of his confinement, and by golly, he wasn't kidding. He really was shut in this one room for 15 years straight. During this stretch of time, Daisu has undergone some radical changes on many, many levels. And boy, to call it radical would really be an understatement. It has been widely reported that people in solitary confinement often suffer from a wide range of fairly serious mental illnesses, since they are entirely void of contact with humans and with the outside world. Daisu suffers the same fate during his particularly long stretch. He frequently finds himself losing his mind, and to add insult to injury, the television, which is the only thing keeping him company, one day shows the news of his wife being murdered, and that police have found a knife with Daisu's fingerprint on it. He has been framed for the murder, and there is no way that he can get out and clear his name. Daisu is sustaining an indescribable amount of pain and agony in every moment. He's imprisoned for no reason. His family is broken up, and he's framed for killing his wife. And he doesn't know the whereabouts of his daughter. Under such intense state of agony, Daisu's nervous system begins to break down. In one scene. We see Daisu hallucinating and seeing ants crawling out of his skin and eventually crawling all over his face, signifying his broken nervous system.
In another scene, we see him staring at the James Ensor painting that we talked about earlier and forcefully pulling a huge smile despite the fact that there's obviously nothing to be happy about. Daisu eventually regains some semblance of rationality and, and conscience, and he begins to retrace his life. He tries to find out who puts him here, and in order to do that, he makes a note of all the people that he has wronged and all the women that he has flirted with. And as it turns out, the names filled several notebooks, showing that Daisu has a pretty dodgy history of womanizing. Apart from recounting his mistakes, Daisu also learns how to fight by watching martial arts contests on television and by punching the wall. The strange ad is somewhat understandable in his circumstances since he has no other way of releasing all that negative energy from his system. Every once in a while, sleeping gas is released into Daisu's room and a group of people walks in to shower him and to cut his hair while he was unconscious. At one point, a female hypnotist walks in and tells the unconscious Daisu that he will wake up one day to the sound of a bell at some point. Understandably, Daisu is getting used to the routine. However, one day, after being gassed again, he doesn't wake up in his own bed like he expected. Instead, he finds himself in a suitcase, and when he finally breaks out of it, his eyes are blunted by the light. He has finally been released. In fact, he finds himself on top of a grassy rooftop, while a man holding a small dog is sitting on the edge of the building, shivering, apparently contemplating suicide. So, this brings us to the scene at the beginning of the movie and to the present time. Daisu catches the man by his tie and tells him to listen to his stories. The movie then cuts to after the conversation, and the suicidal man realizes that his pain and suffering really isn't much compared to what Daisu has suffered in the past 15 years. So, when and where does this leave our protagonist? He's all alone and no longer has a family. His friends, well, for all they know, Daisu is a murderer who disappears for 15 years. He has no idea of who abducted him and why, and to make things stranger, he found a large sum of cash in a wallet that someone has put in his pocket. Clearly, whoever imprisoned him had no intention of killing him, and they have other plans. And Daisu, at this point, is no different than a middle-aged convict who's been released into society, filled with rage and the singular purpose of finding out and punishing whoever did this to him. Well, this is all we have time for this week, and I hope I've done a good job setting up the first half of the film, because in the second act, Daisu embarks on a bloody, and I really do mean bloody, journey of vengeance, and he encounters one surprise after another, and eventually sees his life being turned upside down and inside out. Please make sure to tune in next week to find out exciting development in the second act of the movie. I'm Jake Chen, and I want to thank you again for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Asia. I'll talk to you next week.
What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm. What do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit English. RTI.